Jesus. Romans 16, verse 21. A sermon I've entitled, Satan, Know Your Enemy. And this is what it says. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. You know, if you're a young man was attending a military academy, one of the books that he would likely be required to read is The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Now, Sun Tzu was a highly successful general during the reign of the Emperor Wu, who lived around 500 BC. And he wrote The Art of War as a manual for military campaigns. Now, one Chinese historian relates a time when the emperor, uh, to test Sun Tzu, ordered him to take his 360 concubines and uh, do a mock battle. So Sun Tzu divided the two companies, or into two companies, and he appointed two concubines to be the commanders, as it were, for the demonstration. He gave them simple instructions, telling them to make certain moves as he called out particular commands. When he did, the women didn't follow it very well, and uh, they began to giggle. And so Sun Tzu said to the emperor, if the army does not obey orders because they have not been instructed clearly, it is the general's fault. He then explained the movements to them again, slowly and carefully. Once more, Sun Tzu gave the commands, and again, they messed up and giggled a little bit. He immediately ordered the execution of the two commanding concubines. He then said to the emperor, if the army understands the orders and does not obey, it's the officer's fault. A third time he gave the commands, and this time the concubines carried them out flawlessly. A brutal demonstration, but the point was made and the principle proven. Now this manual reads, as it were, like a book of Proverbs on war. And the truth of some of those maxims have been borne out in the Americans' experience in the last two wars we were in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. For instance, one of his maxims says this, the longer any army occupies a country, the more hated they will be by the inhabitants. We found that to be true in Iraq. Or this one, there's no instance of a nation benefiting from a prolonged warfare. American troops entered Afghanistan in 2001 with the goal of driving out the Taliban. After 20 years of occupation and $2 trillion in spending, what did we accomplish? We pulled out last year and the Taliban returned to power, taking possession of $80 billion of American military hardware. Or this one. In the practical art of war, the best thing of all is to take the enemy's country whole and intact. To shatter and destroy it is not so good. Russia is shattering and destroying the Ukraine, but even if they won, what will they have to show for it? Have you ever heard this one? Know your enemies? Know your enemy? That dictum also comes from Sun Tzu. The broader quote goes like this. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not your enemy, for every victory gained, you will suffer a defeat. If you know neither your enemy, nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Now, in his first letter, Peter tells the readers, his readers, that we have an enemy as Christians, and that enemy is the devil. He warns saying this, he said, be sober in spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a lion, roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, when it comes to our enemy, the Christians seem to make one of two mistakes. Some obsess with them, tracing every problem in their life back to the devil, but far more do just the opposite. Uh, they go give uh, n almost no thought to the devil. They forget that the Bible warns that Satan is crafty and deadly and dangerous, 
and that he and his demon cohorts are constantly trying to thwart the work of God and undermine your faith. Well, here in this verse, Paul promises believers in Rome that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under their feet. But today what we want to do is we want to think about our ancient foe and consider his origin, his work, and his destiny. And then we want to think about how we're supposed to battle against our ancient foe as well. So why don't we join in prayer and then get into the text. Father God, I do pray for uh, help and grace as we look at this. Um, The reality of the devil is one that the Bible clearly proclaims. And uh, we see the effects of it even in our world, uh, his rule. So we pray a blessing now as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Barnaga Christian uh, polling agency two years ago released the results of an American worldview inventory. And one of the questions they asked on that was whether people believed in the existence of the devil. And 56% of Americans agreed with the following statement. Satan is not merely a symbol of evil, but is a real spiritual being who influences human lives. Now, in that same uh, survey, though, 49% of the people said they were not absolutely sure that God exists. So there's more people who are certain that Satan exists than that God does. Well, in the early 1900s, liberal theologians and Bible scholars were telling people that the idea of a personal devil was untenable. I mean, evil traces back to social structures and unjust economic systems. And uh, the idea that there's some guy with a red suit on and a pitchfork just seems ridiculous. But after, millions of soldiers died choking on mustard gas in World War I, and millions upon millions of soldiers and civilians died in World War II, and six million Jews were liquidated in the ovens in Auschwitz and Treblinka, it seems a lot more plausible that there is a personal being called the devil. Well, the Bible does trace the world's evils back to Satan. It was through his deception of the human race that we fell and brought this plague of sin. Well, what does the Bible actually reveal about him? The first thing we're going to look at is his origin, his origin. Now, the first place that the devil actually appears in the Bible is in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, where we read this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said that you may not eat from any of the trees or the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Now, this is one of those stories that uh, most people write off as a myth or a fable. I mean, talking snakes, come on, man! as our president would say. I mean, uh, it just seems like a collection of ancient tales uh, written by primitive people. And of course, if that's the case, then a serpent talking to a woman by a fruit tree makes no more sense historically than an old woman who lives in a shoe or a cow that jumps over a moon. But on the other hand, if you start with the assumption that there is a God and he's revealed himself through his written word, then it's not absurd to think that what we have here is an actual historical event being conveyed to us. Well, was it an actual serpent? Or is this just a figurative way of referring to Satan? It seems most likely to me that the devil actually inhabited and dwelt a serpent. Remember that the curse on the serpent was that it would crawl on its belly. And uh, uh, actual snakes and serpents do just that. So maybe maybe it was just a talking serpent, though. Maybe we shouldn't take it as the devil. But I think the reason we should is because what we see in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, when we're told this, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, who's called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, by the way, notice in that passage with Eve that the devil first starts by calling into question the veracity of God's word. Has God really said And then he suggests that God's withholding something good from them, the fruit of the tree 
of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, that's always the appeal of sin, that it's going to give you something, a pleasure, a good, some lasting satisfaction, but it's ultimately a lie. God is the source of all good. The scripture says this in Psalm 84, 11. It says, the Lord is the sun and the shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You ever heard that phrase, there's something rotten in Denmark? Well, in the Garden of Eden was a beautiful place, but there was something rotten there, Satan. But where did he come from? I mean, what was his origin? I mean, is he an eternal being, like in Zoroastrianism, where you have a dualism between good and evil? No, God alone is from everlasting to everlasting. He's the creator. Everything else is creature. But if God is good, wouldn't that mean that everything was created good? And if that's the case, what happened to this one we call Satan? Well, the Bible doesn't have a chapter dedicated specifically to the origin of Satan, but there are a couple passages that seem to hint, at least hint at, how it came about. Turn in your Bible, if you have it there, to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel 28, that's about in the middle of your Bible. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 28. I'm start reading in verse 1, I think... It's speaking about the king of Tyre, but there's some things in here that seem to point beyond the king of Tyre, and I think ultimately back to Satan himself. Here's what it says, starting in verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, say to the leader of Tyre, This is what the Lord, this, thus saith the Lord God, Because your heart is lifted up, and you have said, I'm a God. I sit in the seat of gods, in the heart of the sea. Yet you are a man and not God, although you make your heart like the heart of God. Now, it's clear in those first few verses it's talking about a human leader of Tyre. But then it goes on in verse 11 and talks and makes references in a way that doesn't fit with that human leader. Look what it says. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation against the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus saith the Lord. You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, beauty, uh, perfect in beauty. Listen to this. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise and the emerald, and gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets, was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub, a cherub's an angel, who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your way from the day that you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence. You and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you uh, as, uh, as profane from the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You were corrupted. Uh, you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground, I put you before kings that they may see you. Now notice this person that God speaks of was in the Garden of Eden. Well, that wasn't true of the king of Tyre. He was all, we're also told that he was the anointed cherub, or the, the one who covers, and that he was at the holy mountain of God. I think the Bible scholars are right that suggests that this passage is referring ultimately back to the devil. If so, what we learn is that he was the covering cherub suggesting that he was the most powerful and glorious of all of God's angels. He was created upright, but then he fell as a result of his sin. It says, you were blameless in all your ways from the day that you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. There's another passage that might be referring to Satan as well, if you turn over to Isaiah. Again, we have a prophecy against a king, the king of Babylon, but it seems to point beyond him 
ultimately back to Satan. Here's what it says. How you have fallen from heaven, O son of the morning, or star of the morning, son of the dawn. By the way, that's where they get the uh, star of the morning. That's the, where they get the name Lucifer from. That's what it means. You have been cut down to earth. You have been weakened, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, listen to what this person says. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you'll be thrust down to Sheol, to the recess of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder you and saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities? who did not allow his prisoners to go home. Now, when I preached through Isaiah, I suggested that this is even more than just the king of Babylon that time that it points to the Antichrist at the end, but it seems to hint at Satan even behind that. Well, verse 12 talks about this person is following, uh, falling from heaven. The angels are sometimes equated with the stars of heaven. And if this is the case, uh, then uh, it seems that what was involved with Satan's fall was a delusion of thinking that he could replace God. And folks, that's what ultimately sin is, isn't it? Isn't that what our Supreme Court does when they redefine marriage? They're playing God. So what seems to have happened was that Lucifer was created as the greatest and most glorious of God's angels, but in his pride he sought to dethrone God, as it were. And in that act he became corrupt, so that whereas before he was holy and righteous, now he is sinful through and through. Jesus said of the devil that he was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Well, what about demons? Well, they're the angels that join Satan in the rebellion against God. Revelation 12, 4 says of the uh, dragon that in his tail, he swept a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. Now, I take the third of the stars to be angels. And I think there's a good reason for taking it. And these are the ones who joined in this insurrection. Now, all demons, Satan included, are wicked. But yet Jesus said some are more wicked and more powerful than others. Like the mafia, they are a syndicate of evil who work together in thwarting the purposes of God. But how? What is their work? That brings us to our second point, his work. Now Sun Tzu advised that we need to know our enemy. There's a scene in the movie Patton where George Patton is uh, watching the tanks from up above as they're battling down below. And he smiles and he says, Rommel, you magnificent ape. Blankety blank, I won't say that. He said, I read your book. Well, Rommel had written a book on warfare and Patton had studied his tactics. Well, when we read the Bible, we learn about the devil and we learn that he's powerful, but he's not all-powerful. Only God is omnipotent. Remember in the story of Job, uh, Job was a great man who was wealthy and he was living around the time of the patriarchs. And uh, he was famed for his generosity. He was held in high regard by all. Life was going along just wonderfully. But then, we read, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan was among them, among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered to the Lord and said, From roaming the earth and walking on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there's none like him on the earth, blameless and upright, a man fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear you for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and his house and all that he has and on every side? You've blessed the work of his hand and his possessions have increased in the land, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. The devil is not pictured ruling in hell with a pitchfork in his hand. Rather, here he's both on earth 
and now shown in heaven. He's accusing the saints, and this one in particular being Job. Well, if God didn't pay him so well, Satan said, he wouldn't serve you. He'd actually curse you. But notice that God is the one who sets the boundaries of what Satan can do. You can take what he has, but you cannot touch him personally. And so what did Satan do? You know the story. He stirred up the Sabaeans, a desert tribe, to steal his, all of his oxen and his donkeys and to kill his servants in the process. He sent fire down from heaven, from the sky, to destroy his flocks of sheep and the shepherds who were watching over him. But the bad news just kept coming. All ten of his children were in a house of the oldest son. Satan caused a great windstorm to come up, and the house collapsed on him, killing all of them at once. Later, Satan's allowed to afflict the body of Job, and it says he gave him boils from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. So evidently, the devil can incite violent crimes and cause natural disasters. Remember back in 2014? There's two girls, I think it was in Wisconsin here, they were playing hide-and-seek with their friend out in the woods, and they stabbed her 19 times. When they were arrested, they said that Slender Man told them to do it. Slender Man is a fictional internet character, but I don't doubt that they really heard someone they thought was Slender Man telling them to kill their friend. According to the report in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, one of the girls said that the Slender Man, quote, watches her, can read minds, and can teleport. How about another possibility? Slender Man was a demon. Paul writes of the Antichrist that he's the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power, signs, and false wonders, and with all deception of wickedness so that those who, uh, so those who perish because they did not receive a love of the truth so as to be saved. Well, what does Satan and his demons do? I mean, do they haunt houses like ghosts? Yeah. <laughs> Except for, you know what, there are no, no such thing as ghosts. People think of ghosts as their departed loved ones who went before. No, it's demons doing the impressions of it. The Grant House down in Rush City. Remember a few years back they used to have a billboard inviting guests and mentioning that they have friendly ghosts? Suzanne and I were eating there once a few years back and got a opportunity to talk to the owner of the place and one of the waitresses. One of the waitresses said that she was working one time in the kitchen and all of a sudden some knives flew across the table or across this, uh, the room and hit her. He talked about people seeing things, you know, when they stayed there from the, uh, you know, Civil War period and stuff like that. And I kept mentioning to him that, you know, it was demons. He kept saying ghosts and I kept saying demons. He didn't like that. But that's the truth. We've had to deal with this a number of times. Uh, not that long ago, I had a guy call me on the phone. Excuse me, uh, does your church like do delivering from demon or from evil spirits? I said, what's going on? He told me about what he was experiencing. He told me that he had been possessed a couple of times. Alan and I went over there to visit with him. Uh, this girlfriend who lived there and younger brother assured us that they had seen him demon possessed before, and uh, pretty scary thing. So we prayed for him. And uh, the demons left. I picked him up. He, he started coming to Bible study. I picked him up a short time after that. I said, have you dealt with anything? He said, no, not since then. But then I warned him. I said, you know, you need to stick with this Bible study because what you need ultimately is to be saved, not, you know, delivered from demons. He came for a while and then he stopped coming. But a year later, I get a phone call again. Do you think you could come back? We're dealing with this again. I said, I warned you when I left that if you don't get right with God, you're never going to be done with this. I said, well, call me on this day. He never called. 
Evidently, he was more comfortable with demons than he was with Jesus. Well, one of the main works of the devil and his angels is to propagate false uh, religion and false teaching, both uh, through distorting the scripture and through raising up other religions. Think about Muhammad, the founder of Islam. He claimed that the angel Gabriel came to him when he was in a cave and commanded him to read a text uh, that would become the words of the Quran. Muhammad protested that he was an illiterate man, but the angel Gabriel gave him a big bear hug three times, which enabled the prophet to read. Now, it's interesting that Muhammad at first thought that what he experienced was actually an evil spirit, but his wife and her cousin convinced him that it was actually the angel Gabriel, Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. He claimed that the angel Moroni came to him and told him that he was a chosen vessel for God's work. Did Muhammad and Joseph Smith just make up these stories? Maybe. Or perhaps they encountered what they actually thought was an angel, but were demons. Paul, touching on this possibility, uh, mentions it in two letters. Speaking the false teachers, plaguing the church in Corinth, he wrote this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising that his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Then he writes to the Galatians this, he said, But even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that I preached to you, let him be accursed. As I said before, I say it again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you received, he's to be accursed. Paul told Timothy that the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith. Listen to this. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. 1 Timothy 4, 1. I mean, what's been the response of people to the overturning of Roe v. Wade? They're going nuts. Why? Because for them, abortion is not just a political right, R-I-G-H-T, but it's also a religious right, R-I-T-E. It's their blood sacrifice to their demon gods. Listen to the way God describes what was going on with the Israelites when they were practicing their pro-choice policies. Psalm 106, 7 to 8 says this, They even sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons and shed innocent blood. The blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was polluted with blood. Not only do demons inspire false religions, they're also behind the rise of political ideologies and they affect world events. When I was in college, I read a book by a missionary who was uh, serving in China in the early 1900s. In one section, he recounted a number of times that he had dealt with demons, uh, possessed people. In one of these encounters, he said that he cast out the demon, and as the demon left, he said, I'm leaving. He said, but we have scored a great victory today that's going to set the world on fire. He didn't think anything of it until about a week later, he read in the newspaper that that day that that demon had said to him those things was the day that the Archduke Franz Ferdinand of... Uh, Austria was assassinated, which is what started the First World War. How about World War II? Um, Hitler pushed racial ideology, kind of like they're doing now, right? The man who had the greatest influence on Hitler in that was a man named Houston Stuart Chamberlain, who when he first met Hitler about 15, 20 years before, told him that he was destined to become the leader of Germany. Where did Chamberlain get his ideas about the Aryan race? In the book I read, it says that he got them from spirit guides, he said, who communicated with them. What about Hitler himself? I think he was possessed. At the very least, he was influenced by demons. 
In Daniel chapter 9, we have the prayer of Daniel as he confesses the sins of his people and pleads for God to restore them to the land. As a response to the prayer, God sends angels, an angel to Daniel to tell him what's in store for, in the future of Israel. We read this in chapter 10, verses 12 to 14. Then he continued, this is the angel speaking to Daniel. Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before the Lord, uh, before God, your words were heard, and I have come as a response, in response. But the prince of Persia, the Persian kingdom, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, our princes came to help me, because I was detained there by the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns the time yet to come. The prince of Persia here is not a human leader because there's no way a human leader can stop an angel from getting to where God had sent him. Evidently, this particular demon that was withstanding him was a powerful one because it said he needed Michael, the chief of the angels, to help him out. And a little later, he says when he goes back, he's going to have to fight the prince of Persia, yet another demon. Remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6? He said, be strong in the Lord and his mighty work, power. Put on all the armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against his strategy, the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against, listen to this, evil rulers, authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You know, the titles given to Satan in the Bible are Prince of the Power of the Air, Ephesians 2.2. Jesus called him the ruler of this world, John 2, or 12, 31. Paul calls him the God of this age, 2 Chronicles 4, 4. John tells us that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, 1 John 5, 19. Now we know that demons can possess the bodies of unbelievers. We're told that Satan entered into Judas in that night that he betrayed Jesus. Jesus saw Satan working behind Peter's comment when Jesus announced that he was going to the cross in Jerusalem and he was going to be offered up as a sacrifice. And Peter said, no, Lord, if God forbid that should happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He recognized in the words of Peter, who was a believer, the machinations of the devil. You remember when Ananias and Sapphira lied about the amount of money that they had gotten for the property they sold? And Peter confronted them with it. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, was it not your own? And after you sold it, it was under your control. Why then did you conceive this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over those who heard it. In the parable of the seeds. Remember, some of the seeds fell on the hard soil, and the birds came and ate it up. And Jesus said, that's the person who hears the word of God. But the devil comes and snatches the seed away before it can take root. And that's passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4, Paul says this, and even if our gospel is being failed, veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. You got friends and relatives, you, you give them the gospel and they just shrug their shoulders. It's not that they're disinterested, it's that they're blind. It says that in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Paul, when he was relating his encounter with Jesus, the risen Christ, to King Agrippa, said that Jesus had commissioned him, quote, to open the, their eyes, that is, of the Gentiles and the Jews, that they might turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan 
that they might receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who are being sanctified by me. Now notice what Paul tells us here is that before a person is saved, they're actually under the sway of Satan, under his rule. Paul told us in 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26, as he's writing to pastors, he says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God might grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they might come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive to do his will. So to summarize so far, the Bible presents the devil as a fallen angel, powerful but not all-powerful, who along with his demon henchmen controls the world system, influencing world events, and deceiving people through the world's false religions and godless ideologies. He also works inside the church with false teachers and fake believers who either knowingly or unknowingly subvert the truth. And folks, this is not just out there. The enemy of your soul seeks to keep you from hearing the word of God and acting upon it. He can put doubts into your mind as stumbling stones in your path so that uh, he can see you falter and fall or at least be distracted. And he certainly doesn't want you praying and he does not want you sharing the gospel with people. And again, in that Ephesians 6 passage, Paul warns us that we're to be fully uh, prepared and equipped for the spiritual battle we engage in. This one he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of the Lord. Put on the full armor of God so that you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces and darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take on the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having gird your loins with the truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take on the shield of faith, which will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayers and petitions, pray all, at all times in the spirit <clears throat> with this in view. Be on alert and persevere in the petitions for the saints. You know, one of the books I have at home, I have a lot of books at home. This one was written by a Puritan named uh, William Gurnall. It's uh, on this passage, the ones that I just read there. It's a thousand pages long. It's called The Christian in Complete Armor. Now, Sun Tzu said it's important not only that we know our enemies, but we also know ourselves. And we know, and you know if you're a Christian, that when it comes to this battle, if we rely on ourselves, we're in big trouble. But if we go out in the strength of the Lord, with the weapons he's provided, trusting in him at all the time, the battle may rage long, but the victory is guaranteed. For faith is the victory which overcomes the world, the flesh, and the devil. That brings us to our last point, though, is destiny. Now, we could have made this two or three sermons. It's already going to be plenty long. But I wanted to get it all in this one week. Um, the word Satan, by the way, means adversary. And diablos, which we translate as devil, means slanderer. And we're told that he accuses the saints before God. You know, when people are put on trial, sometimes they uh, plead the Fifth Amendment, which gives you the right to remain silent and not incriminate yourself. Mr. Chansley, when you enter the Capitol building on January 6th with your horned headdress, did you take Speaker Pelosi's podium? Your Honor, I plead the fifth. Well, when Satan casts doubts and despairs on you by throwing out 
your past crimes. You shouldn't plead the fifth. What you ought to say is, yeah, I'm guilty. And then you should plead the blood of Christ on his cross for the payment of your sins. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Martin Luther said that whenever the devil reminds him of his past, he said, I always remind him of his future. (laughs) Well, what is his future? Well, in that Isaiah passage, remember it says that Lucifer planned to go up, up, up. But when you get to the book of Revelation, you find out he goes down, 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 ultimately into a burning ring of fire. We don't have time to summarize the work of Satan as seen in the uh, book of uh, Revelation. But I want to give you three downward relocations that Satan is forced to make uh, as it's revealed there. First, he's kicked out of heaven. Look at, listen to what it says in Revelation 12, 12 to 17. It says, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer found a place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who's called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth with his angels thrown down with him. And they heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell on them. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you having great wrath knowing he has but a short time left. This leads to the period that we call the Great Tribulation after he's thrown out of heaven. But next, Christ returns to find And then we find that Satan and his demons are thrown into the abyss. Listen to what it says in Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a great angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon and the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over so that they would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they who sat upon them, That's the resurrected saints. And judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony, the testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and they had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This, the rest of the dead, did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who take part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And then finally, we read this. When the thousand years were completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war of the great, uh, of the number of them, for the war, the number of them is like the sand on the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who was deceived was thrown into the lake of fire and a brimstone, where the false prophet and the beast are also, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. <laughs> what a fool Satan is. He fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but just slightly less well known is never go up against the Son of God when eternity is on the line. Jesus said, do not fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who's able to kill the body and afterwards destroy both body and soul in hell. I tell you, fear him. Fear God, trust Christ, and know that the God 
of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. And by the way, I want to encourage you and thank you. It's very hot in here and you guys paid attention and almost all of you stayed awake. Good. We'll see if we can get the air on for next week. Let's pray. Our Father and God, thank you for your grace and mercy. This is amazing stuff. But we know that it's not just of curiosity. This is our ancient foe who seeks to work us woe. And we know that uh, if we trust in ourselves, we're going to be easy pickings. But if we trust in your son, we will be able to withstand all the onslaught of the devil and his demons. So we pray a blessing on us. We thank you that you've protected us and that uh, nothing can defeat um, your gospel. So bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.